Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 15. And here we are continuing our reading through the book of uh, Exodus. Exodus 15, starting in verse 22, going through verse 27. And this is uh, right after the people have been brought out of slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea, and they have not only crossed the Red Sea, but they have uh, then sung God's praises on the other side of the sea. And we saw that in the children's sermon. There's this pattern, you know, God saves and the people sing. And we just saw that happen. And then we get what happens immediately after that. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. Now we ask this morning that as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would give us ears to hear. Now that we would hear your word uh, above all other words. Now that we would hear your word and be shaped by it more than we are shaped by other words. God, open our ears, open our minds, soften our hearts. God, that by your word and by your spirit, we would be formed evermore as your people, uh, reflecting who you are everywhere we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus fifteen twenty-two to 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Turning into our gospel reading, um, we are actually starting a new gospel. We uh, read the end of Mark last week, turned the page, we're in Luke. (laughs) And this is how Luke begins his gospel account. In verses 1 through 11, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of in, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. 
That's where we're going to stop. <laughs> kind of a cliffhanger. We'll have to wait and find out next week what happens. For now, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, not only are we uh, concluding uh, or beginning a new book uh, for our gospel reading, we're also beginning a new book in our sermon series, and we are looking at the, um, the first letter we have to the church in Corinth from Paul. And Andrew, can you tell me what the next slide is? Is it words or is it picture? Words. words. We're going to read it first. I couldn't remember which order we'd <laughs> do this. We're going to read first, then I got stuff to show you, but um, and then we'll read it again. So in uh, yeah, First Corinthians, we're just going to look at the first nine verses today. First Corinthians chapter one, verses one through nine. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in, in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, we'll come back and talk about all of that in just a bit. But first, um, since we're beginning a new book, this is a letter from Paul uh, to this church in Corinth. I mean, it starts off uh, in verses 1 and 2. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. Where's Corinth? Do we know anything about Corinth? If we've just been reading straight through the Bible, do we know anything about them at this point? Do we know anything about Paul's relationship with this particular church? At this point, well, we do, but we might need to be reminded. This is, uh, if you'll flip in your Bibles, I don't have this on the screen, but if you'll flip in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 18, uh, most Bibles will have a, um, a heading for the first um, 17 verses there about how this is Paul in Corinth. And it talks about him... Um, leaving Athens, going to Corinth, and the kinds of things that happen while he's there. Uh, one of the fascinating parts, I think, is when um, he goes first to the synagogue where, the, where Jewish people would be meeting to worship God, and he goes there to explain how Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all the things that have been going on um, that everybody's been looking forward to. And this is where he goes first as he usually does. And then there's this um, kind of pushing out. And he says, all right, if, you, if you're not going to accept it, I'm going to the Gentiles. And I love this line where it says that then he goes next door. <laughs> it's like, this is uh, verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of uh, uh, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And, um, and I, I love that because it seems like... If, Oh, if you're rejected here, you're going to have to go somewhere far, far away. And no, I'll just go next door. We'll, we'll just go there. And then 
It says that the synagogue leader, Crispus, actually becomes a believer. And so it's not that everybody who was Jewish who was a part of the synagogue was rejecting this message. Some, including synagogue leader, were accepting the message about Jesus, accepting this good news about who Jesus is and, um, and what he had done for them. Not only that, but then later on, Paul stays there, by the way, for a year and a half. This is verse 11. Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And then we've got some uh, people who are upset about him and they're preaching about Jesus. And so uh, you have some Jewish people who try to stir up trouble for him uh, with <laughs> Rome, basically. And you've got Gallio who just isn't, he's not hearing it. And so he's like, eh, he's the proconsul of Achaia. And he basically is like, eh, this is your own deal. You figure it out. I don't care. And so then they turn on, listen to this, this is, uh, verse 16 and 17. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. All right. Did you hear who it was that was the synagogue leader now? A guy by the name of Sosthenes. Have you ever heard that name before? You have, just a couple minutes ago when I was reading 1 Corinthians. <laughs> because that is the guy where uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. That's who's writing this letter. It's Paul and Sosthenes together writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Sosthenes, who had been a synagogue leader there in Corinth, who had, get, who had gotten beat up. Um, whether he was getting beat up because he was uh, not attacking Paul enough, whether he was uh, getting beat up because he had already become a believer himself, and so they saw him as like a representative of Jesus. I don't know. I don't know why they beat him up. They did. It's kind of hard to figure out the reason of a mob, though, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, but whatever the case, at this point, he seems to have become a believer and is now um, joining with Paul in, uh, in writing this letter to this church in Corinth. What else do we know? Not just about Paul's time with Corinth. What else do we know about Corinth? Uh, do we know where it is? We do know where it is. Um, this is where we get the next map. There we go. Uh, that's where it is. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is going to be a little tricky because it's kind of hard to see. But if up in the uh, your top left corner, you see the, the heel of the boot of Italy there and then the toe coming down the side. And then uh, this long island down at the bottom here is Crete. And if you go kind of up from that... Right in this middle area, that's where you have uh, Corinth. Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. We'll zoom in on that middle area. There we go. And then, I don't know if you can see, there's a little yellow dot there and a little red line. The little yellow dot, if you can see it, if you can't see it, it's right next to the red line. <laughs> Sorry, it showed up better on my computer. I put it on the screen here, and I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, the, the yellow dot is Corinth, and that red line... There's something there now that wasn't there at the time of Paul. And so um, at the time of Paul, you'd have boats that would want to get from one side to the other, and you could sail around, but much like with the Panama Canal, if you're going to sail around South America, you're like, you know, it might be easier if we just cut a canal between here and sail on through. Well, they didn't have a canal there at that point, but it was still, it's only four miles. And if you're going to sail around, it's going to be forever. So Instead, what they would do is they would actually pull their boats up on one side, and uh, sometimes they would have boats on both sides, and they'd unload the stuff, carry it across. But a lot of times, what they would actually do is pull their boats up onto uh, the land and then like roll the boats across on logs for four miles 
put it back in the water, and then go across because it was you could save so much time doing that uh, than sailing all the way around. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Anybody want to go try that? <laughs> yeah. So they have a canal there now. <laughs> uh, a lot, lot easier. Um, I was actually looking at pictures of um, modern day, what it looks like, and uh, one of the pictures that popped up was bungee jumping in the Corinth Canal. <laughs> so you can do that now. You couldn't in Paul's day because there wasn't a, um, a canal. So they didn't know what they were missing. Anyway, <laughs> um, I did not include a picture of that because that's not important. Here's what's important <laughs> is um, that because this had that kind of traffic, you've got um, people coming with their ships uh, who are the merchants who are selling things from all over the world. They're coming right through here and they're coming up on land. And while their ship's being moved, yeah, they're, they're in town, hanging out, doing what people do when they have time off. <laughs> and this is um, an area that then became uh, known for uh, wild living. That'd be a good way to put it. And so this is uh, like if, to Corinthianize something. That's, that was a term that was used to mean that something was, uh, yeah, had been made uh, pretty wild and, uh, and typically very much opposed to the ways of God. There's a church there, though. Did you catch this? Like Paul goes there and starts this church in Corinth, stays there for a year and a half. And, uh, and what he does, let's go on from this. And we'll go to the next one. We see this. This is the Bible Project video. It's the poster at the end of the video, uh, giving the overview of the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Highly recommend you watch it. We're not going to watch it this morning. But I did want to show you uh, the overview because this is what's going on. You've got this Corinthian culture. And what Paul is doing is he's gone in, he's told them the good news of Jesus, and then he's left and he has heard about how things are... Uh, how things are going there. And, um, and what, we, what we have in this letter is how Paul writes back to him about these various problems they're having. And so it says along that bottom line, not the, not the very bottom one, but the, up from there, it says the, uh, the little boxes, because of the resurrection, we have a reason for unity. We have motivation for sexual integrity. We have power to love others more than ourselves. And we have victory over death. These are some of the problems they were facing in Corinth. Why? Because they were uh, people being shaped by Jesus, but who'd also been thoroughly shaped by their culture. And now they're in the midst of kind of this being shaped both ways. And the question is, who are we going to be? If we're being shaped by our culture and we're being shaped by Jesus, which, which way are we going to go with that? And so in Corinth, they would claim to follow Jesus. But then they were living in ways that were actually following their culture. And so instead of following the lead of Jesus, they were following the lead of the culture. That sound familiar today? Anyway. What we have in 1 Corinthians, though, is a, uh, a way of looking at how the gospel is what we apply to these various problems. And so as they were having these problems, we say, well, maybe we don't have those. Maybe we have some of these, but maybe we also have some other ones. What do you do when you have these problems, when you're being shaped by your culture? How do you know? And what do you do when that's the case? 
And what we see in 1 Corinthians is the way that Paul takes uh, the gospel of Jesus. And this is that bottom line, where it says the gospel is an announcement about Jesus that opens up a new reality. And this is where we say, you know, you look at whatever the situation is and you say, okay, well, how does the gospel of Jesus speak to this particular issue? Always going back to who is God? <laughs> how has he revealed himself to us in Jesus? And then what does, how has he revealed um, our relationship with him, our relationship with uh, each other and the creation? How does that all work out? And then, all right, so now back to the problem at hand. How does that speak to this particular problem? And we'll get to see a lot of that going through 1 Corinthians, and then um, that should help us as we uh, face situations today uh, that may or may not be the same or similar. Okay, that's all. But yeah, you can go back and watch that video. It's a good one. Uh, but now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, um, here's what's so great. Is Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. We just talked about how they've got all these problems there, right? How they have been shaped by the culture, how they are uh, looking more like Corinthians than like Christians. And yet, he says, uh, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Did you hear that? You know what sanctified means? It means made holy. He's talking to the church in Corinth that is acting not very holy, and he says, you have been made holy. That's who you are. In Christ Jesus, you are people who have been made holy. And you are those who have been called to be his holy people. And so we're going to see in this letter how both of these things are true at the same time, that they have been made holy and they are being made holy. So what, what does it mean to be holy? <laughs> and um, this is where one of the, if you look at the uh, book of Leviticus, it talks a lot about that kind of thing. And it talks, there's a lot of... Uh, rules and regulations for being clean and unclean and that sort of thing. But the whole idea of it, as you kind of go through all this, is this set apart for a special purpose. That's what it means. To be set apart for a special purpose. And um, I love the way that Tim Mackey of the Bible Project has put it in uh, discussing the idea of holiness and talks about how we, we understand this concept in our own homes. That there are things that you would do in the bathroom that you wouldn't do in the kitchen. Fair enough? Yeah? And vice versa. <laughs> Those are rooms that have been set apart for different purposes. And so uh, the same thing with the, with the church. He's saying, you, as a people, have been set apart for a special purpose. And we're going to get to uh, some of that in just a bit. But I want to... I also want us to think as we're considering this. Um, look back through those nine verses. I'm not going to put them on the screen again because I can't fit all of them on the screen. I want you to see all of it together. So open your Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, there's one in front of you. Um, look at 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. And look at the various places where the word you is used. Y-O-U, you. 
Grace and peace to you. I always thank my God for you because of grace given you. For in him you have been enriched in every way. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Skipping some, but there you go. Now my question to you is this. As you look at those, how many of those do you think are singular, like you, individual person, and how many of those do you think are you, plural, as in you all as a church together? I've, I count up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times that the word you is used. So what do you think? How many out of ten are singular? How many out of ten are plural? You don't have to say it out loud, but pick a number in your head. Ten. All ten are plural. There's not a one of these that he is talking to an individual person and saying, this is what is the case for you individually. What he's saying is, to the whole church, I'm talking to all of you. This is your situation together as a people. You have been called uh, to be God's holy people. Um, His grace has been given to you. You have been enriched in every way. Uh, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, etc., etc. This is one of the things that we're going to see through this letter, that uh, a, a problem that is easy to fall into is to cut ourselves off from the body, to start putting up divisions and walls and saying, well, this applies to me and not so much to the rest of y'all. <laughs> and he just keeps on talking about the unity of the whole thing together. It's all of y'all together. And, um, and this is where I wish there were like a, a Texas translation where you just put y'all every time it says it in plural, right? Wouldn't that be helpful? It'd be helpful. Well, anyway. But this is, as we look at the first part of 1 Corinthians, there are several things that come to the forefront. One is the word you that gets used a lot. It's all, always in the plural. Another is uh, reference to God, our Father, in some way. Uh, And the other is to uh, his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in some combination of those words uh, throughout. That gets used a lot. Yeah, like ten times there as well. Almost like it's it's Jesus (laughs) that is at the center of this whole thing. Like if we're going to find our way out of uh, being conformed to our culture, it's going to be through Jesus. That he's the one who has done uh, what needs to be done, and he is the one who is doing what needs to be done for us uh, to be set apart for a special purpose, to be holy. Um, here's a little example of how we make it get things wrong here in and how we apply the the gospel to this in our culture. Do people other than ourselves, like not just me personally, but like somebody besides me. uh, So you think about yourself, do other people besides yourself, do they matter? Are they important? Do they have worth and value? And our culture would answer, it depends. Do they agree with you? Or can they help you in some way? 
if they can, if they do agree with you or help you in some way, yeah, of course they have value. But if they disagree with you and add no value to your life, well, then they don't matter. They're not important. They have no value. You hear this kind of stuff anywhere? Maybe at some level, accidentally believe it? You look at the gospel. uh, in Well, you look at the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see people being treated this way, don't we? As though they don't matter, pushed to the side. They don't have value. They do not matter. And yet, Jesus steps in and that's not the way he sees things, is it? And he treats the people who the culture says doesn't matter as though they actually matter, as though they're important. You go, well, of course that makes sense. I mean, you've got God who has created people in his image. If we believe that God has created people in his image, then people have value and worth. They matter because they are representatives of him, whether good or bad represented, they, they represent him. The way we treat people shows how we view God. We see this kind of thing in First John where he says, you can't claim to love God and then also hate your brother or sister who's been made in his image. We see the same thing in the book of James where he says, you can't praise God with your mouth and then curse your brother or sister who's been made in his image. There's this connection between the two, right? This is why when Jesus asks, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These two don't get separated. And what do we do? We separate. <laughs> but you look at the, um, the people in Israel at the time and you go, how did they get that wrong? How are they treating people like they didn't matter when these were the people who God had uh, called them as his holy people, right? He had called Abraham and said, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And through you, the whole world is going to be blessed. He has revealed himself to them in a way that people had not uh, seen before. And you're like, how could you have all that and still miss it? And then you look at the church. And what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is, you have been called. Like Abraham was called, you have been called as a people for a special purpose to be a blessing, to represent God in this world. And, uh, and you have had God revealed to you through Jesus in a way that hadn't been revealed previously. How can we miss it? <laughs> And so uh, as we are looking at this, I think a lot of times where we, where we miss it is because we think about it in these terms. We tend to think about it like this. How is it that I need to live so that I can go to heaven? That kind of thing. When I die, how do I live now so that I can... And that's got everything all backwards. Here's the way it actually is throughout Scripture. Is It looks more like this. What is it that I believe to be true, and how do I live in line with that? Do you notice that as Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, he doesn't say, straighten up, get your act together, um, because if not, you'll never be the people of God? He doesn't say it that way. He's like, look, you already are the people of God. Now think about what that means and live like it. (laughs) If there really is a God who really has created everyone and everything. 
If people really are created in his image, live like that. If he really has revealed himself in the person of Jesus, who has loved us so much that he died for us, if he really has come back from death itself, showing victory over death, and if he has promised that he is going to come again, and this is what we're looking at last week, was come Lord Jesus, that this is what we're looking forward to. This is what he says here in um, 1 Corinthians. He says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Like if this is really what we are looking forward to, if this is really the case, then how do we live in accordance with that? And if we uh, believe that this is the case, we ought to live differently than a world who believes something else to be the case. And so it might make a lot of sense for the people in Corinth who don't know about Jesus to live very differently. But those who, have, uh, who know Jesus, who have been called by him, and um, last verse, verse 9 well, a little bit before that. This is, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is part of this purpose that we have as a church, as those who have been called um, to be uh, the people of God in Christ. We are called into fellowship with Jesus. It is amazing how easy it is for, um, for Christians to debate and try to solve problems with zero reference to Jesus. It is amazing how common that is. It's like we are those who are called to have fellowship with Jesus. The things that we are deciding should be in light of the gospel. If this is who God is, as he's revealed himself in Jesus, if this is what Jesus has done for us and is doing with the world, okay, then how do we move forward? <laughs> and so often we take all of that and say, well, we'll talk about that on Sunday morning, but right now we got problems to solve, and that has nothing to do with Jesus. I think Paul would say false. <laughs> it all has to do with Jesus. And we are the people who have fellowship with him and who live in light of our relationship with him, who treat other people differently because of our relationship with him, who make decisions in this life differently than the rest of the world because of our relationship with him. Like that's what it all flows out of. And so uh, I know this has been more an introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians as a whole, but I hope you're able to see at least at this point a little taste of what we're in for as we move forward through this letter and, uh, and the way in which the gospel of Jesus isn't just about me and Jesus and the way in which I, have, uh, I get to go to heaven after I die. That, that is certainly a part of it. But it's so much bigger than that. And it's so much more communal than that. And it has so much more to do with every part of our lives than that. And so this is where uh, we are headed as we eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do pray that you would help us um, as we go through our day today, as we go through uh, 
the days upcoming, to not be those who are so easily and quickly forgetful. We read about those uh, who crossed through the Red Sea, who sang your praises, and then three days later were grumbling as though the problem they faced was too big for you. God, help us not to be so forgetful. God, help us to constantly um, remember, be reminded, and be those who remind each other of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ and what you are doing and what you have promised that you will do and help us to live in relationship with you and in light of what uh, you have revealed. I would do pray that you would help us to represent you well in everything that we do, the decisions we make, the ways we treat each other. God, we pray that you would forgive us when we fail to live up uh, to what we claim to believe. God, we thank you for your guidance. But more than that, we thank you for, um, for the Savior we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.